week four of a series called Transformed. And we're learning about how the Bible transforms our minds and transforms our lives, with the key verse being Romans 12, 2. I think by the end of this, I will ask Tom if maybe he could get us to say this without it on the screen, because we've said it enough that I feel like we all should know. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've talked about transformation in relationships, in our spiritual life, and mentally with our minds. And today, we're going to talk about transformation with regard to finances. Nobody's getting up and walking out. So this is a good thing, right? Such an exciting topic, I'm sure, right? And I bet you wonder, why in the world are we even talking about money? Are we talking about money because it's important to the church, because we're trying to collect more of it? No, actually, we're talking about money because it's important to Jesus. Jesus talked about money in the Bible one out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven or more than he talked about hell. And why is this such an important topic? Well, let's think about it. How much time in our lives is spent interacting with money? Many of us spend 40 or more hours a week um, earning money, doing some work to earn an income. And then once we've earned that money, we spend time to spend money. We spend our time at the grocery store or the clothing store or Walmart to get our other essentials. And we spend time thinking about how we're going to spend our money on leisure activities, vacations and hobbies and things. And those are just kind of the day-to-day -day regular things. But think about buying a house or buying a car and how much time you invest and spend spending money. The lengths of time that we spend interacting with money, whether earning it or spending it, is significant in our lives. And I think that's why Jesus spent so much time talking about it. Money is not good and it's not bad. Money is a thing, it's an object that could be used for good or could be used for bad. And how that money influences our lives, whether to the good or to the bad, it heavily influ is influenced by whether we listen to what Jesus has to say about it. So today we're going to read together one parable from Luke 16. So you've got some Bibles on your chairs if you want to grab one of those or if you brought your own or open up your phone and pull open Luke 16. Let's hear what Jesus has to teach us. This parable is a little bit confusing even. And so uh, we'll unpack that as we go through it today. Let's pray together as we ask for God to open our minds to his word. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for making it alive and active. Soften our hearts and open our minds to all that you have to teach us today. Amen. Okay, beginning in verse one. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 
A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the honest, dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I'd like to say that I wonder why Tom gave me this message about money. Of all things, it's probably one of the last topics I'd want to talk about. It can be kind of sensitive, but I think most of you know that I spent 20 years working with money before I became a pastor. One of my last roles was supervising the receivables department at a major manufacturer. And my first thought was, as a receivables manager, wouldn't you have some authority to make concessions, to make deals in order to collect as much money as possible on your accounts? But then I looked back at the text, I read it again, and I thought, oh, oh gosh, he forgave 20 to 50% of these debts. And he was telling the debtors, make these adjustments quickly, hurry up, write it on the paper. And that sounds like it's probably out of his authority. The manager was accused of being wasteful in the beginning of the parable, and at the end, he continued to be wasteful by using it to gain favor with his debtors. Yet in this strange end to the story, the master commends this manager for being shrewd. Shrewd is one of those words I thought, how am I going to say that a little differently in case there's anyone who doesn't quite understand what that means? It's kind of a word that sometimes defines itself. Um, but I, I looked it up, and it, the dictionary phrase says, to be shrewd is to have or to show sharp powers of judgment. And that's one lesson in this parable, that we as Christians have to learn from people who are not Christians, that we have to learn from the world, is how to be shrewd. Look at that last sentence in the verse again. It says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. And I thought, ouch, Jesus, here I am trying to do what you asked me to do. I'm trying to display the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And now I have to be shrewd too? Yeah, says Jesus, you do. It's not the only place he tells us to be shrewd. If we go to Matthew 10, where Jesus is sending out the disciples with the authorities to drive out demons and to heal sickness, he says this in verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Yes, we are to be full of gentleness and grace and love. And we are to be sharp on guard and wise in the world's dealings, and in particular, when it comes to money. Back to Luke 16, in verse 10, Jesus continues and says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? That manager had been hired to take care of his master's possession, but the parables said that he wasted them. And then Jesus expands on this, saying, if you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. And in one sense, this truth came back to bite the manager. He lost his job over being dishonest with his master's money. Yet, when he was faced with this problem of losing his job, he's told in advance he can't be the manager, he gets to continue to be employed for some period of time, he realizes he has just a little bit left 
has a little bit of time, a little bit of resource, a little bit of relationship left, and he decides to be shrewd and to take advantage of what he has. He went to those debtors, he negotiated down those debts so that he could gain their favor for the future. The manager was dishonest in doing this, but in this parable, Jesus wants us to see something else. The manager had used his sharp powers of judgment to make the most out of that little time and little resource he had left. And we should do the same with what we have. When it comes to possessions on earth, we need to realize that everything we have is on loan from God. When we view money this way, it's countercultural. The culture tells us this stuff is ours. That house, it's mine. My shoes, these are mine. The car that I drove to get here, it's mine. Except it's not. God gave me and God gave you everything that you needed to acquire those things. God's given you the opportunity, the time, the skills, the resources, and the knowledge to obtain everything in this world that you call yours. And when you think about your possessions through this lens, you realize you don't own anything at all. God has given you these things to enjoy and to use but also to deal with wisely, to be fruitful and to multiply with, and to bless others. Let me give you a small example. On Friday, Kelsey and I went outside and sprayed some paint on the cabinets for the youth room, the, the doors. Um, Dwayne was smart. He stayed inside and he did the bases. But we were outside in the wind and as, because things don't turn out the way you expect, an emergency phone call to Doran and I said, uh, Doran, my paint sprayer doesn't work. Do you have one? And he said, yeah, I do. Come on over and get it. So we borrowed it and did, used it for the weekend and whatnot. And um, we're cleaning it out, getting covered in paint and covered in white water. And Kelsey says, you know, I hate borrowing other people's stuff because I have to return it, like I hope I return it, in a condition that it works, in a condition that it's maybe hopefully as clean as where I got it. Do you know what she means by that? When you've got somebody else's item and you don't want to give it to them back as trash or of less value, it's kind of like that with God and money, too. We wanted to be good stewards of this paint sprayer that Doran had let us borrow. And we also want to be good stewards of what God has given us that we get to use while we're here on earth. When we see our money this way, when we see our resources this way as being on loan from God, we're going to treat them differently. Jesus continues in verse, six, verse 13 of Luke 16. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we follow the Lord's command to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, when we seek him in everything that we do, we will spend, save, and invest our money differently. And I will be the first to admit that I've not always done this. As soon as I was done with college and I was making some decent cash, um, our family, the two of us, we were running really hard to keep up with the Joneses. We thought we needed every gadget and everything. Our kitchen was full of one-time use items. Uh, we started buying only brand new vehicles. Uh, we bought a new house and we got deep into debt. I was not 
like the shrewd manager, I did not prioritize our future with regard to money. And you might think that this is funny coming from someone who's in finance. Because wouldn't you assume that finance people do all the right finance things? But here's the deal, you can learn from me that how you handle money is a matter of your heart. It's not a matter of numbers. I saw that money as mine. I saw those credit lines as mine. I saw the houses as mine. I was serving money. I was not serving God. And I, of all people, knew exactly what those numbers meant. And in the meantime, while I was spending one way as a, on my personal life, I would go to work and I would manage millions and millions of dollars on behalf of my employer completely differently because I knew that that money was theirs. But when I looked at the checking account, I thought that was mine. That's a big problem. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And that is exactly where I was at that time. There was never enough money and I was never satisfied. Sometime later, there, I ran across this quote, and it stuck with me for several years. You will either make yourself accountable, or you will be made accountable by your circumstances. And that's exactly what happened to us. Our circumstances started to hold us accountable. We had to make a change. We had to make a U-turn in our financial life. We had to commit, my husband and I, to honest and hard conversations about spending and income. It was so tough because you see, money isn't just that thing in and of itself, it's wrapped up with emotion. Any dysfunctions that you have in your relationship will come out in how you spend and manage money as well. And really for us, it was more about that. It was more about those relationship breakdowns, more about those dysfunctions than it was about the money. But we got to start having those hard conversations of how we were gonna get out of the mess that we were in. Aaron had to leave a couple of jobs because he didn't make as much money as he thought he was going to make in those jobs. I took a second job for a few years so that we could continue to do things like go on vacation. We signed up for Christian credit counseling, which is the best thing we ever did. But in the midst of that, we weren't able to put anything new on credit cards and we had to make these payments to this counseling company and there were days that I didn't know how we were gonna pay our bills. I would look at my account balance and I would say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, just what we need for today. And the next day, I'd get up and I'd do the same thing. Look at the checking account balance and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need to pay this bill just for today, every day, for probably two years or more. And what started to happen is that my heart changed with regard to finances and my relationship with God. Little by little, bills got paid, and slowly we dug ourselves out of that hole with the Lord's help. We got stable, and we did start to have more money than what we needed in our daily lives. We made headway on our debt. I was on the phone this week, I'm not sure if Angie's here, but I was on the phone with Angie and I said, hey, you know, sometimes God just, you want God to fix things right now. What I would have wanted is give me all of the money that I need to fix this problem right now. And God showed up for us, but that's not how he did it. 
God showed up little by little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, until we had made the progress that we needed. God showed up for us in our finances. And before we even got completely out of it, we responded differently. We started giving regularly to the church, which we had never done before. We started sponsoring a child in Thailand. We started using our money to make money by spending less and investing instead. We began to loosen our grip on the money that we realized really wasn't our own to start with. And just when it seemed that we were comfortable, we were making strides, and we had more money than we needed, God called us into ministry. And I bring this up because this is so, such a test. Money is a test, people. And I'm not saying anything about what I get paid here. I'm just saying corporate and ministry, they pay different. And it's significant. But God didn't ask us that question until our hearts had been changed for him with regard to money. And at that point, when we looked at it and said, no, 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 we can't make this work. We don't know how this is going to work. And we kept praying and kept discerning and kept wrestling with the numbers and kept going back to God. God helped us see how we could make it work. We were able to make the decision to let a more comfortable life go and instead trust God with what our future would look like. And I can tell you, in the last year and a half, God has blessed us more than I could ever imagine. And I know that there are some of you here today who have similar stories. When you released to God the finances and the resources that you had, that God blessed you in return. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says this, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The Lord sees your bank account. You can't hide it from him. What does it say about who you trust? Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust the balance that's in the account? Or do you trust the possessions that you're buying out of that account? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying about my family. We are four very imperfect people. And we are still figuring out the balance of enjoying God's gifts to us, of sharing and blessing other people. And we are not everywhere we want to be financially. We're not as generous as I would like us to be. I look to the future and I want to get to where some people say, I give away a third or a half of my income. We're not there. And I want you to know that there's not speaking from a place of achievement or perfection here. I'm just telling you, this is a process. God has been faithful to work in our family over time. He has continued to shape and mold our hearts as it relates to finances and stewarding our resources well. The Lord says this in Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. This is not a message about tithing, but I want to touch on this for a moment because I want you to hear how this relates to time and to grace. 
I've just told you about how the Lord met us little by little by little and continues to do that. That I have things in my heart that God's stirring for us to do financially that we're not there yet. And he continues to meet us and he continues to bring us a little bit further all the time. I want you to hear this grace because when you hear scriptures like Malachi 3.10 that say bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, if you're starting at zero and you think you got to make it to 10, that can be very overwhelming. And not only that, here's a tidbit, the tithe wasn't everything that Israel gave to the Lord. They actually gave closer to one third of what they had back to their communities and back to God's work. There's no assignment here to beat yourself up over where you are not yet. There is no homework to feel bad about what you have not yet accomplished. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the ways that the Lord has blessed you in spite of your poor decisions. We've all made poor decisions. Whatever those are for you, think about how in spite of that, God's blessed you. Be thankful and be gracious and look to him and say, God, help me to trust you a little bit more every day. Help me to meet the challenge you lay on my heart. What I want you to hear in this is that being transformed financially, as with everything else we're going to talk about, is not an overnight fix-it-now problem. It is a process. And the Lord will work with you over time in it. So... Don't let the fear of being imperfect keep you from making a step forward with the Lord today. There's a direct connection between how you handle money and God's blessings. Matthew 25, 29 says this, For whoever has been given more, they will be having an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And I want to be on the more blessing end of that deal, right? And I want that for you, too. In fact, I want to hear more of those stories. I've heard some of those stories of how some of you have trusted God with your finances and your resources and how you've been blessed. I want to hear more of that. I want that for you. But we got to do it the way God wants us to do it. Maybe the Lord is pressing on your heart that you need to be wiser with your money. Do you have what you need to prepare for the future? Did you think about, at the end of the story in the parable, how the manager was looking out for where he was going to be? He kind of had that, oh, crap moment. I'm out of a job, and then what will I do? I'll be on the streets. Are you doing the same? I mean, someday your body will fail. Someday your eyes will fail. Your mind will fail. Are you preparing yourself for the future? Do you have an emergency fund that in case something breaks that you can get it taken care of quickly? If you happen to have some money, I can tell you right now is a great time to get it in a different account that makes more money than just your savings account. In fact, as a church, we have to model some of these things too, and that's something we've done this year is we've shifted a chunk of our funds over to a place where we earn more money while still keeping it liquid and accessible. As a church also, we have goals for increasing our level of giving to our community and to missions globally and nationally. The church is moving, too, in this direction of stewardship, stewardship, doing better with our money. Maybe the Lord is laying on your heart that you need to waste less so that you can have the freedom to make better choices. 
Maybe the Lord is tugging on your heart to be more generous, whether it's with, to the mission of the church or whether it's other causes that make his name known in the world. And I would suspect some of you have a fair amount of money. And maybe someone here needs to trust that a little bit less and trust God a little bit more. Maybe you're treating it like a security blanket instead of trusting the Lord with your future instead. One thing that I know is that every single person here has a way to grow. All of us can move forward in how we steward our finances together. So take a step, one step, where the Spirit leads you and presses on your heart. So let's go back to Luke 16, verses 11 and 12. Let's go look at those again, 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? How you use what's in your bank account or manage the property you have will tell the Lord how much he can trust you with greater riches. And those might be earthly riches now. Maybe when you are um, aligned with the Lord in your finances, maybe it's finances that come back to you. But maybe he can trust you with greater eternal riches too. Those might be things like more of God's presence. They might be things like more ministry opportunities. They might be more ways to bless people and lead them to Jesus. If the Lord has blessed you with wealth, then you can use that to gain eternal riches. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, um, yeah, Liz, that's, that's not me. You must be talking to the person on the other side of the row because I don't have anything. But did you know that the poorest Americans are still among the richest people in the world? It's true by several different measures, actually. The standard of being poor here in America is richer than most global poverty countries. And that happens when you even account for, like, um, charity and social services, things that are available to you that aren't cash, but they're benefits that come to you. Everyone here is crazy richer than many, many other people in the world. So I'm not saying that to say everybody's flush with cash. What I'm saying is that we know that there's an increasing wage gap. We know that the rich are getting richer and that there's a gap down through middle class into lower income. And sometimes you get in positions where it's hard to pay the bills. Hello, I was there. I get it. And if it's hard for you to pay the bills today, I feel for you. And I will pray with you. And I would love to talk to you about it because I get it. I really do. But what I am saying is that you have something. At some point, you have something to share, something to give back to someone else. Maybe your resource is that you have extra canned food. Maybe your resource is that you have extra of something that you can share. Being wise and being generous with your resources has an application for everyone in this room. So there's the question, how will you honor God with your money? And where will he press upon you to make some changes? As we close today, I want to share a short story and a letter. Almost five years ago, our family visited a mobile Compassion International display. It was like a set of semis that came in. And there were rooms in this display where you could see how children in poverty globally live. And honestly, I was thinking of my own kids when I asked Aaron if we should go. I thought, oh, I really want to see 
um, how my kids react to understanding more about global poverty. Five years ago, my kids were nine and five. Felt like it was a good time to expose them to that. I wanted them to see how much God had blessed us here living in the States. I didn't even think about the fact that at the end, they would have an opportunity for us to sponsor a child. But there we all stood, the four of us, in a room full of cards of children in poverty who were being served by compassion and needed ongoing sponsors. So we chose a child that was between the ages of our two kids. And he writes to us several times a year. He draws us a picture, and a staff worker helps him write. And then we write back to him, too, and we share about our life. Um, so I want to read you a part of a letter from last year that really meant a lot to us. This is the compassion worker writing. <laughs> he wants to visit your place. He wants to see you. He wants you to come and visit him. He spent your gift, this was extra money we gave on top of the monthly sponsorship, um, on eggs, meatballs, banana chips, dried noodles, cabbage, pork, biscuits, instant cocoa powder, detergent powder, snacks, and candies. His parents planted peanuts. He wants to thank you for your love. He wants to request you pray for his studies and his family. He likes to go to the project. He's talking about the Compassion Center. He listens to the Bible stories and he learns crafts when he goes to the project. And when I think about eternal rewards, that's who I think of. I think of this boy who's served by compassion because we chose to give a small amount of what we have every month. So he can enjoy simple things like snacks and candies, but most importantly, that he can learn about Jesus. I think about meeting him maybe someday here on earth, but for sure meeting him someday there in heaven. All because we chose to join a group of people who were stewarding our resources toward making Jesus' name known. Here at the church, I think about the support we've given to Madison Thielen as she's gone to a college and ministered to people through the Navigators program. The eternal rewards of seeing people come to Christ because this church has decided to allocate some of its funds to that mission work. I think about all the work and the giving that we do through the ministerial association throughout the year. The people in our community know that Crossroads supports them and to hear about all the ways God works through that ministry. And I think about the faithfulness of those of you who support and give and volunteer to our church, where every week we get together and we talk about Jesus and the gospel. These are eternal rewards, and someday we will see people in heaven because of how we chose to steward our finances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that it is in your good plan to partner with us, to give us things to test us, to grow us, and to help us become more like you. Lord, I pray that you would press upon people's hearts of how you want them to take another step. Where is the next step with regard to being transformed financially? And Lord, I pray and thank you in advance for the blessings that you promised to return to us. In Jesus' name, amen.